I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to Clash of the Titles, the podcast that sees two movies with something in common go head-to-head to see which one does it better. And welcome to part two of this week's Bloodsucker Brawl. On Monday's episode, we saw 1992's Dracula take the classic story and add a little love to the proceedings, slash, it's Dracula told as an erotic dream. Not my words, but those of Francis Ford Coppola. On today's show... It's all about the bromance, or lack thereof, as Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt bicker through the 19th century and Kirsten Dunst redefines the term Nightmare Child, adapted from Anne Rice's best-selling novel. It's 1994's Interview with the Vampire. So which movie will emerge as champion this week? Let's find out. It's Clash of the Titles. The Kraken. Hello, Clash Potters. I'm Alex Zane. I'm Vicky Crompton. I'm Chris Tilly. And very quick reminder, don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter at ClashPod for all sorts of extras about each movie we cover. And also, please take the time to rate or review us or both. It only takes two seconds. Wherever you get your pods, please do that. It is a massive help and hugely appreciated. Thank you. So... It's part two of Dracula versus Interview with a Vampire. These were Victoria's choices. Victoria, reminders of the connection. The connection is mad, bad and dangerous to know. Stick your neck out for camp Dracula or gothic bonk busters. <laughs> oh, it still tickles me. <laughs> All right. I covered Dracula on Monday, which means, Christopher, you had Interview with a Vampire. We will have our winner at the end of this episode. But before that, Chris, take us on a journey. Interview with the Vampire is the story of a very modern family in crisis. It kicks off with a hot slave owner hooking up with a hot blonde, and the pair become bonded by blood. As the years pass, the long-time companions start to squabble, and their increasingly loveless marriage hits the rocks. But the blonde refuses to believe it's over, so to keep his man, he effectively gets pregnant. Which one of you? 
Rather than bring them together, however, the Daughter of Darkness drives the duo apart. And so the kindly slave owner and the kid poison, cut, drown and burn the blonde before fleeing to France to watch them play. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> That'll do it. Well, for our consideration then, interview with a vampire. Um, yeah, so first watches of this one team. Uh, Alex. I'd seen this film once before as a teenager and I had loved it. I remember loving this movie. I, I didn't remember much about it. The only two things that I remembered uh, from the first watch before I watched it this time was Kirsten Dunst's really nasty death, which uh, was seared onto my mind, and the incredible ending which i loved so i was genuinely very excited about watching this again and it did not disappoint so i mean i've got some quibbles little quibbles but they're they're minor so it was a good experience thank you for this decision victoria a good call vicky what's your history with this one i've seen this film um oh we're definitely into double figures i think <laughs> which is wow. a bit a bit weird but like i said uh on monday Heavy rotation in a student house. There's a lot of it I don't remember uh, because each time I watch it, I would sort of drift off, I guess, is one way of putting it, at certain points. And so I haven't seen it for years, though, um, and I was really excited to watch it again. And I love it, even though I know it's flawed. But it did feel like a long film, and it's not that long, but it does drag a little bit. Okay. I don't need anyone's opinions of the film just yet. It's fine. (laughs) Yeah, you, you have you have micromanaging the shit out of us lately. We need a discussion. This is the section where we talk about memories of watching it, not oh, wait, give sorry, our Chris. opinion. Sorry. Oh, I'm yeah. sorry. Did I step outside the bounds of the section? I apologise. Yeah. Save it for I, the I, verdicts. I, I didn't really. I mean, I, I did say that, you know, I really enjoyed rewatching it and I do have quibbles, which I guess is an opinion. <laughs> Both so, naughty. So I guess... Yeah, sorry, Christopher. <laughs> Did either of you uh, read the book? No, I haven't. No, no, no. Sorry, I don't even know why I bother asking Alex. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I've I've read books. I, I read the novelization of Independence Day. <laughs> uh, well, I was I was a big fan of the books. I read a few Ad Rice books at the time. Uh, this one, Vampire Lestat. I think I read the Queen of the Damned. Although I don't know if I finished that one. So, yeah, I was super excited about this one uh, coming out and saw it at the cinema, but I haven't seen it since. So it was uh, interesting to revisit um, a bit of background on this one. Um, and it, it it's had an interesting story uh, journey to the screen. It starts with a bit of tragedy, actually. Um, in 1970, the author Anne Rice, um, while attending a, a a creative writing course, San Francisco, discovered that her four-year-old daughter had leukemia and uh, the child died of the illness about two years later. And I think you, she, she wrote Interview the Vampire a couple of years after that. And I think you can see the influence of that, particularly in the um, Claudia character. Uh, but we'll get onto that. But the book was published in 1976. It sold around 10 million copies worldwide. And her Vampire Chronicles, of which this was the first... Uh, book have sold 80 million copies so they've been a huge success um according probably, to Ad- probably probably read them now they're, they're a big success with they i'll pick pick one of those up vampire chronicles you say great i love books yeah. and i think they'll be back i think her son 
Christopher Rice is has got the rights now and is looking to turn them into a TV series. So um, I actually have a little bit on that, only because it was quite recent. I saw a little bit about in May this year. In fact, uh, AMC have just got the rights to the Vampire Chronicles, so there is talk of it being adapted. Mm. This year would be unlikely, wouldn't it? <laughs> I don't think they're doing it this year. I think they just right. acquired the rights this okay. year. This is the section. This is the section of the show, Chris, where I talk about who's acquired the rights, <laughs> not not whether that is in production at this point or likely to be this year. Um, well, Anne Rice is a very outspoken uh, person, and so we got lots of juicy quotes about the journey to the screen from her coming up. But she says that the the two people it was offered to first were Ridley Scott and David Cronenberg. Would you like to have seen either of them do this movie? Uh, I, I, I don't know that I would, actually. David Cronenberg seems like a very odd fit for this. I guess Ridley Scott would have been quite interesting, so I would have, I would have been okay with that. But uh, David Cronenberg, no. I mean, I actually think the uh, gangbang scene in um, Dracula that we covered on Monday, that felt a very Cronenberg kind of vibe where one of the brides of Dracula appears to be coming out of the other bride, like a weird birth. So that felt very Cronenberg, but there's not a lot of that in this. Fair enough. Uh, Neil Jordan got the gig um, coming off the crying game when he was kind of at the height of his fame and success. Um, and he was an interesting choice. He's, there's a lot of gender fluidity in his movies, uh, which sort of comes into play here. Um, but reading interviews with the pair of them at the time, and they were definitely in in public arguing over who would get the credit as to who wrote the script. Um, and Rice was initially very worried that he would get credits, sole credit. And then uh, afterwards, Jordan complained that he didn't get any credit and it was all given to Anne Rice. So they were sort of bickering behind the scenes. But it's actually ended up being a very... Um, it's very loyal to the the written word, the novel. Um, it's a pretty direct adaptation. So uh, the big story was the casting of um, yeah. the stats. So yeah, what names, let's get what names, into the juice. What names did you guys hear read uh, that, that Anne Rice wanted or that the film studio wanted? Because I've got quite a long list. Well, Daniel um, Day-Lewis, but you said mm. that. Mm-hmm. Peter Peter Weller, I like the sound of that. Peter Weller, um, or John Malkovich, he was in there as well. I've got him <laughs> on my list. Any more? Oh, Jerry, oh. yeah. Um, oh, a woman <laughs> because didn't she panic? Um, oh yeah. Because obviously there's they're a couple basically Louis and Lestat, but she got a bit nervy about it, so it suggested making one or both, you know, flipping the gender of one or both. So I don't know who it was for, but I read somewhere that Cher was considered, which yeah. would have been outrageously brilliant, um, and Angelica Houston, which also would have been brilliant. Yeah, I read that Cher was up for the Lestat role briefly, or at least Anne Rice was considering making Lestat a woman. I think she said it was because she was worried that the film wouldn't be a success because of Hollywood's issues with homophobia. And yeah. so she was going to swap out a role. But, it's, uh, it's not yeah. exactly. Ooh, so she Jer- said Jeremy Irons! <laughs> Jeremy Irons! <laughs> Jeremy Irons! Regarding casting a woman, Anne Rice said, um, I wrote a script in which Cher was supposed to play Louis. The whole oh. idea was that Louis would be a transvestite woman. At that time in history, you could own your own plantation and run things if you were a man, but you couldn't if you were a woman. It was the yeah. French law. So this was a woman who dressed like a man. Otherwise, it was exactly the same as Interview with the Vampire. Okay. Mm. 
Jeremy uh, Irons. Yep, Jeremy Irons, she was very keen on. Uh, and Julian Sands as well um, was her number one choice for quite a long time. Uh, so it would have been a more wooden, I guess, Lestat. Uh, and very early on, her favourite to play the role was Rutger Hauer. Yes. Really? I didn't know that one. That's great. Who, who would have been amazing. And he played a couple of vampires, I think, in his career. But I think he would have... He looks the part and um, I think he's got that charisma and that sexiness. But um, as, jo- as Neil Jordan put it, I cast Tom Cruise and all hell broke loose. Um, <laughs> his reason for casting Cruise, not only because he thought he was a good actor and he's a big star, but he thought that... Um, being a vampire was no different to being a Hollywood star, that you're, you're expected to be eternally youthful, you, you live this secluded life, you sort of dominate a room when you walk into it. So he thought the casting was spot on, but Anne Rice did not. Um, <laughs> there are so many different places where she slagged off this casting. The, the famous line was she said it was, it was like casting Edward G. Robinson as Rhett Butler. But um, she said, Tom Cruise casting is so bizarre, it's almost impossible to imagine how it's going to work. And it's really almost impossible to imagine how uh, Neil could have come up with it. I have one question. Does Tom Cruise have any idea what he's getting into? I'm not sure he does. I'm not sure he's read any of the books other than the first one. And his comments on TV that he wanted to do a creature feature as a kid. Well, that didn't make me feel any better. (laughs) <laughs> I mean wow. that is that isn't gonna put a mind at ease. <laughs> but but he um yeah, it's you know, it's one of those movies that you sort of you watch this movie and you go, I really I really wish Tom Cruise still did films like this. And initially the reaction is, why doesn't he? And then you kind of realise that it's not really his fault that he's not doing movies like this because movies like this I don't tend to be made anymore like or given the budget to afford someone like tom cruise mm. but it's also he's a brand isn't he and i think it's quite subversive this film and i think it's more about protecting the brand now but when certainly when it when um at the time tom cruise is quoted as saying uh, of, of Anne rice's quotes when it first hit it really hurt my feelings to be candid about it her venom hurt you don't usually start a movie with someone not wanting you to do it that's unusual and and the producer David Geffen said, Anne is a difficult woman at best, and what her motives are remains somewhat beyond me. But for her to mm. attack this movie for her own self-importance when she has been paid $2 million and stands to make a lot more money selling her books, it's just capricious. It lacks kindness, it lacks discretion, and it lacks professionalism. Hmm. Yeah, kind of agree. I mean, she did go back on her words, didn't she, though? she uh, There was a period where she kept trying to tell um, the filmmakers that they had to swap the roles, that Brad Pitt had to play Lestat, and Tom Cruise, if he was going to be in this movie, should play Louis. And she said, of course, they don't listen to me. So she really wanted them to swap at one point as well. But she did then, she was very nice about Tom Cruise in the end, wasn't she? She was, yeah. Didn't she take out like a trade ad say, sorry about that because uh, he's the best thing in it, <laughs> which is true. <laughs> I don't think she said that. I think that. But I just think if you don't, I don't know, it's a difficult balance. She created him. She, you know, understands more about him as a character than anyone. But then, you know, you don't have to sell the film rights to your book. No one's making you do that. So, and it's a process of which as the writer, you are not at the top of the at the at the front of the queue for who gives a shit about what you've got to say. Yeah. <laughs> Difficult. The, um, yeah. the, you got, the you ad- got, you got, you got, you got, uh, sorry, Chris, go on. I was going to say the advert she took out in variety is quite hilarious. Um, 
She said, I'm no good at modesty. I like to believe Tom's Lestat will be remembered the way Olivier's Hamlet is remembered. Others may play the role someday, but no one will ever forget Tom's version of it. She went off to slag off. She went on to slag off Time, Newsweek, The New Yorker, and The New York Times for giving the film bad reviews, saying they're all out of touch. <laughs> and now, and now we get to what I believe is her ulterior motive. Uh, in the same advert, she said, "I hope I get to write the script for the sequel." Tom's power, knowledge, skill, magnetism, and artistic integrity are part and parcel of the success of Interview with the Vampire, and there is no doubt that Tom would bring power and magic to the vampire stat. <laughs> please let me write it please let me write it no yeah. <laughs> <sighs> he is great in it though I mean she, you know there's absolutely no denying it he is fantastic in this film um, yes and and she's right I, she apparently she called him afterwards and apologised to him personally and she was all like oh, Tom did make the stat work and that's something I couldn't see in a crystal ball and you're like alright well backtrack but yeah it's good it's good that she did apologise because um, she doesn't sound like someone who really that comes naturally to her from what <laughs> I've read um, so should we talk about the film or have you got any more for the background uh, no only that River Phoenix was going to play the Christian Slater role and um, and then sadly died just four weeks before they started filming this. And so um, Christian Slater stepped in and then donated his entire salary to Phoenix's favourite charitable organisations. Oh, that I was the only that. thing I had. And I, I guess we're going to get onto it, but uh, Brad Pitt wasn't happy making this movie by all accounts, but I'm sure you've got stuff on that. Have you got yeah, stuff I've on got, that? Should we talk about got, that later? I've got a, a few quotes for him sounding quite a lot like his character. But um, <laughs> let's, get into the, let's get into the film. Um, I normally yeah, try and focus right. on sort of five major scenes, but with this one, I sort of I think I feel like the film sort of breaks down into different sections. So we'll go that way. Um, it sort of bookended in San Francisco, um, where uh, Louis the Vampire wants to tell um, Malloy, uh, who has a name in the film, unlike the book, a journalist, um, the story of his life, um, which was very helpful to me, this scene, because having read the book, I thought he was called Luis the whole time. So it was good <laughs> in the film to find out I've been saying it wrong for about two years and he's actually Louis. You mean the S. name Louis you'd be you'd been saying wrong this yes. whole time? Yes. Okay. A bit like you with interview okay. with a vampire. The title. <laughs> right. Right. Okay, good. Thank you. Excellent. <laughs> so he says he's been a vampire for 200 years and he's going to tell his story and so we're transported back to New Orleans in 1791. Yeah. Sh- can I just ask a very quick question about uh, Malloy, Daniel Malloy, Christian Slater's character? I, I, it's never quite clear what his actual job is. Uh, <laughs> I, it's like I, I'm, I'm sorry, but if if he if if someone explains their job as I, I'm someone who follows people and asks them their stories, it's yeah. like well, that's that's not a job. What do you Can mean? I, you follow I, people and go, have you got a story? And they I'm go, say uh, something yeah. that it might I might be reading what isn't there. But given the, um, uh, what's the right way of, I can't think. Anyway, given the fact that uh, Louis and Lestat and then later on with Armand, they are, I, the, my reading of it is that they are lovers. Um, 
and there's talk about Christian Slater hanging down an alleyway and them looking at each other. And it's like, I thought it was like a hookup, but then he was like, oh, but I've got a tape recorder if you want to do that first. <laughs> and then he was like, okay, fine. We'll do the story. Then we'll have sex. He's like, okay, that's my reading of it. What? No, 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 <laughs> no, no, that's, that's not all right. right. All right. That's, all right. that's a wrong thing you've said. No, because <laughs> all right. Yeah. So it wasn't, it was wasn't gonna... a hookup in an alleyway. All right. Fine. No. Right. No, he was going to eat him. Brad Pitt was going to eat him. Oh like, yeah, he, was... he does say that. He does say that. You're right. And that was that was my first clue. When he says it, he says, <laughs> "I was going to eat you, Vicky, not have sex you, with you." Is no, this you just wanting to see Christian Slater and Brad Pitt get it on? Is that what's going on? I would on here? see that. I mean, I wouldn't. I wouldn't close my eyes if that's what you're asking me. <laughs> Good. We're just glad we've established that. So we're in New Orleans, 1791, and Louis is a 24-year-old master of a large plantation near New Orleans, which I find problematic from the off that our hero is a slave owner. And yeah. I don't think the film ever really properly addresses it. I mean, I think you could go down the route where he's a slave owner who then becomes a slave, essentially, to his bloodlust and to Lestat. But they don't bother with that. They just... They, they they cut out some of the stuff from the book that makes him even more repulsive. Yeah. Um, mm. But nevertheless, it, I just I'm pretty uncomfortable with that being the hero of your story. Yeah, I noticed that as well. What, is is it worse in the book, Chris? Yes. So um, a bit later on, when they decide to leave the plantation, uh, Louis and Lestat murder all the slaves so that no one can tell the story of who they are. So oh. in this one, he tells them all to sort of run for their lives and gives them an out, basically. But in the book, they they kill they kill the slaves. I mean, they don't, they don't come off great here. The slaves, the only time we ever really see them, they they seem like sort of you've either got uh, a beautiful um, woman who he's got a connection with, or the rest of them are almost presented as savages performing voodoo, which again just seems a bit uncomfortable. That. Yeah, I think it's a bit much that Thandi Newton is, she is enslaved by him, but she's like, have you had enough to eat? And are you okay? And I'm really worried about you. It's like, come on, <laughs> like, let her have something where she's like, fuck you, Brad Pitt. Fair yes, that, mm. that, that, that pleasant relationship between slave owner and slave that is, <laughs> yeah. is deeply unhealthy uh, in cinema. Yeah. Um, you know, that's why we don't have, you can't see Song of the South, but here it's, you know, yeah. it's almost it's almost presented as, as him being heroic. And another thing they change here as well is that is that so uh, we 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 find out that Louis longs to die almost. He wants to lose his wealth, his estate, his sanity. He invites death because he's depressed because his wife and child have died in childbirth. But that was different mm. in the book. Um, it was his brother that died. And the thinking is that this was this change was made to make him seem more heterosexual from the off. Um, right. Uh, but I don't know if we, the film then contradicts itself with their relationship later in the film. But it's a, again, it's a it's a strange change. So yeah, as as we've said, yeah, um, that's, that couple's yeah. I can see why they made that change. Obviously, because you know with the the hookup between him and Christian Slater that was going to happen in the alley, <laughs> and then it being his brother. It's all yeah. That's yeah. Good good change. Good change. <laughs> but from the off, Louis is a very miserable man. Um, mm. moping around. Um, Lestat clocks this and can't decides... Wait. I can't wait to see that change at some point in the movie. <laughs> looking forward looking forward to when he has the epiphany and starts enjoying anything ever. <laughs> uh, Lestat clocks him and it seems like it's love at first sight for him. 
Um, he bites him and then says to him, do you still want death or have you tasted enough? So he's giving him, as he says over and over again in the film, Lestat, he's giving him the choice that he never had. But the choice isn't that good a choice. It's either die or be a vampire. So um, it's not a huge amount of options. Um, <laughs> yeah, it really, it, it, really, it really should be a choice that is presented before the initial bite. Shortly. Yes. <laughs> you, got, you got three options here. I don't bite you, and you can uh, go about your business, have a nice day, and all that. Or I bite you, and then kill you. Or third option, become a vampire, and then you have to eat people. I have to what? <laughs> you have to you have to kill you have to kill people and drink their blood. I have to kill who? Sorry, I feel like there's something you're not telling me about this vampire deal. No, I said it. Good. Here you go. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so Louis becomes a vampire and I want to speak briefly about the vampire law invented in this film. Um, as we mentioned in Dracula, we have the voiceover telling us, uh, one detail here. There's lots. So I've made a list of, of what the, the, the true and false of, of vampires in this film, um, coffins and blood are a necessity. Um, although this is never explained, statues come to life when you become a vampire and look at you. <laughs> um, yeah. they, they love the light and garlic. Um, stakes through the heart are nonsense. They're fond of looking at crucifixes. Um, the hair grows back if you cut it. Um, mm. Some of them can read thoughts because the dark gift is different for each of us, which is weirdly convenient and <laughs> my least favorite aspect of this. Um, you can't drink from the dead. You are forbidden to turn a kid into a vampire. You're forbidden to kill your own kind. And Dracula was the vulgar fictions of a demented Irishman. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You should really... Um... You should really write that list out, maybe word process it and laminate it and hand it out to people who are planning on streaming this movie because that's actually very useful, that list. <laughs> I think Chris, you've missed one, and that is yep. every time Tom Cruise appears on scene, um, there is the strum of a harpsichord. That's the one. <laughs> is that right? <laughs> yeah, basically. He pops up and he goes, dun, 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 and he's like, Louie, you idiot. <laughs> it's, it's, it's great. Um, so we're into the next <laughs> section, which I have called Vampire Louie. Um, sad, po-faced, miserable. Uh, no, the no, mor- no, 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 no. Shadow. More po-faced, more miserable. It's like, it's, yeah, he, yeah, he's just, oh, my God. That, I'm just like... Oh, for God's sake. I called him, I wrote down that he was the Morrissey of vampires, but then I remembered Morrissey actually used to be quite funny. So mm-hmm. um, that's giving him too much credit. But yeah, he's refusing to take a life. So he's become a vampire, but um, he's drinking rat blood rather than take a human life. So he's a he's essentially a vampire with a conscience, um, which frustrates Lestat, who uh, takes him to New Orleans for sport, as he calls it. And they work their way up from a fresh young girl to a beautiful youth to an aristocrat. And it's fun watching Lestat uh, do his business. Um, it feels like Tom Cruise is enjoying this opportunity to, to play evil. Yeah, mm. there's a great and there's a great bit as well where Louis burns down their plantation home because he's like, we're not going to have any of this. See how you like it. Not having somewhere nice. Um, Tom Cruise, <laughs> he just goes, perfect. Perfect. That's just great. Shut up, Louis. <laughs> <I'm> like, 
It's like, that's so good. I, was, I just love the way you shut up, Louie. I was like, oh, I mean, I wish he said that more. I wish that was the entire relationship. Whenever Louie was like, I'm not going to eat a human. I'm just going to have a rat. Shut up, Louie. Well, that there is, is po- like. <laughs> there is a point where Lestat says life would be even more unbearable without me. And I feel like you could say the same about this film because it does yeah. it does improve when he's on screen. He's just, unfortunately, he's not the, the protagonist of this film. Um, yeah. Well, that, that ties into what I was going to say about Brad Pitt earlier. He said he didn't like um, how the character of Louis, which he'd loved in the book, was represented in the script. <laughs> he said uh, in the book, it's this guy going on this search of discovery and... In the meantime, he has this Lestat character that he's entranced by and abhors. Uh, and he said in the movie, they took the sensational aspects of Lestat and made that the pulse of the film. And those things are just enjoyable and very good. But for me, there was nothing to do. You yeah. just sit and watch. <sighs> he also complained about um, working in London doing night shoots. He said, I- I'm miserable. Six months in the effing dark. Contact lenses, makeup. I'm playing the bitch role. Um, one, one day it broke me. I called David Geffen, who was a producer. I said, David, I can't do this anymore. How much will it take to get me out? And he very calmly said $40 million. Um, <laughs> and, and, and of working in the studios in London, he said, uh, there are no windows in there. It hasn't been refabbed in decades. You leave work in the dark. You go into this cauldron, this mausoleum, and then you come out and it's dark. I'm telling you, one day it broke me. It was like, life's too short for this quality of life. And I think he's sounding quite a lot like Louis there and moaning. And I think he should just buck his ideas up because he's getting paid a lot of money and there are a lot harder jobs than that. There are. Yeah. I wonder if he didn't like uh, the, the the technique that Stan Winston uh, created to get the veins on his face, which uh, if Stan Winston goes... I got a new technique. This is uh, this is how we're going to uh, get those really realistic veins to to pop on your face, uh, exactly where the veins should be. And you're like, oh, cool, a technique. And then Stan Winston goes, yeah, we hang you upside down for 30 minutes so the blood rushes to your head and mm-hmm. then we'll draw over the veins that appear. <laughs> so oh. all the cast had to spend 30 minutes strung upside down as the makeup department drew the veins on where the veins actually were on their faces, <laughs> which sounds... Hideous every morning. Morning, morning. Brad, still miserable. <laughs> I am great. Getting the harness for turning you upside down. <laughs> um, and then for the next sort of 15, 20 minutes, Alex, you mentioned about them torching the, uh, the plantation. And it's just kind of a bit of a boring argument playing out with, with um, the Lestat telling Louis that he's a killer and Louis denying that he's a killer. Um, yeah. Over and over again. How many scenes? Like I was like, I get it. He doesn't want to kill humans. He'll live on rats. And it, but it's like every like there must be ten scenes back to back. I'm exaggerating. Where that is the only thing they're talking about. And do you know, do you know what? I don't want to jump the gun here, but the biggest problem with that is that they have that conversation. Uh, about like him refusing to drink the blood of humans kill. And then when he eventually starts drinking the blood <laughs> of humans, it's done off screen. 
Like there's no, you never see him like go, fine, I'll start drinking human blood. He just suddenly is like that. Like you have that conversation, then you don't bother showing him having gone, right, I'll do it then. It's so weird. I hadn't thought about that, but that's a very good point. Um, as we always say, show don't tell, but they, they did the opposite when it comes to that big moment. <laughs> I got a bit um, a bit bogged down with, which I've not been bogged down with before whenever the multiple times I've seen this film, but how many people do you need to eat in order to stay alive? Because is it a reasonable number or not? Because if what's a reasonable number? (laughs) When because Louis going Lestat would eat, he would have he would start with a girl and work up to a whatever and blah blah. blah. So he would have like three a night. So let's just say two because maybe Lestat is a bit greedy. So then that's seven hundred and twelve people a year. But then at Christmas, probably you have a couple extra because it's Christmas Day and we all eat a bit too much. That's seven hundred and fifteen people. That's like. I can't think. Like, is that like the in, is that like a large supermarket car park worth of people? <laughs> because that's a lot of people, and you're going to have to move tablet. It didn't seem to be very practical, and I know it's not supposed to be, but it was just bugging me all the way through. Like, why do you not get caught? Why? Where are the pitchforks? Where is the scene where it's like you get run out of town because well, you've no, eaten that, everyone? That's what happened though with the plantation scene. They had to burn it down and go on the run because the locals had so many had gone missing that the locals had turned on them. Yeah, but then they just go down the road, don't they? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, they go down the road, and uh, Louis is is goes searching for the plague, and that's when he finds Claudia, and that's when we're going to take a break and come back and talk about her. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm lip fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at MintMobile.com slash switch. $45 $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. 
Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. So before the break, we were talking about Claudia. Uh, so this is a little girl, a 12-year-old girl in the film, a uh, five-year-old girl in the book, <laughs> who's... Uh, whose mum is dead, is, her dad is missing, and Louis stumbles upon her. And this is the big moment. Um, Lestat decides that she is the companion that Louis needs. And so after dancing with her mother's corpse, <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, he starts to turn Claudia. Uh, and as I said in my intro, it's almost a way of sort of getting pregnant to keep his man. Um, and to, to 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 give them a family to try and give it give Louis a reason to stay with him, would you say that's fair? Yeah, yeah. There's that there's that quite it's quite a moving moment when Brad Pitt first discovers uh, Kirsten Dunst and she's holding on to the corpse of her mum, and Kirsten Dunst goes, "Please wake Mama, Monsieur," and you're like, "Kid, she's, look look up." She's she got one eye. I mean, she dead. She is so dead. She's a rotting corpse. Now, I'm not saying that kids back then were stupid, but you gotta know when someone ain't gonna wake up. And that that like she has, she's got an eye out. She's oh, like, no. she's green, she's, isn't she? It's like it's like wake 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 her up. Are you stupid? Are you a stupid kid? Oh my god, you're stupid, aren't you? That's wow. what I was thinking anyway. <laughs> Harsh. Harsh on Claudia. Um, and so um, she starts draining Lestat's lifeblood and she seems kind of powerful and slightly different right from the off. Um, she's eating his blood and she says, I want some more, which kind of reminded me of Olivia, uh, Oliver Twist, the way she says that. Um, <laughs> so she's this little child, but she almost immediately becomes a, a ruthless killer. Um, yeah, but she does the progression or transition from like a do- like a doll, like a child with a child's appetite, and children always just want what they want and want more, to then a very frustrated, very angry, tiny woman, because <laughs> that's what she becomes. Because she she ages technically by thirty years, but she's still a twelve year old, and she doesn't seem like a child anymore. And then you think about when she loses her shit about that. She is Kirsten Dunst in a film with Brad Pitt and Tom Cruise holding her own, screaming at them that they've done this to her and she's never going to change, then like hacking at her hair with scissors. And Kirsten Dunst does a a really brilliant job of showing uh, Claudia's change, but also like holding court with these two more established, although not fully, like not for Brad Pitt, like not as mainstream as he would be become, but older, bigger actors than she is. Yeah, she was. She is absolutely brilliant in this. She was just discovered by a talent scout. Um, like she and she was the first person to audition for the role, and she got the role. And yeah, she's great. And that whole montage where she is 
like killing everyone they bring to her to perform yeah. tasks. I like, wanted to talk about that before she makes maker. that change. It's the dressmaker, it's the doll maker, it's the piano teacher. And you, <laughs> you guys recognised him, didn't you? Yeah, Trigger from Trigger. Fools and Horses. It's not. <laughs> it is. <laughs> uh, but she does this by, yeah. this is while she's still a, a bit more innocent. She does this by pretending she's lost her mother. But she's still this little girl because she's still sleeping in Louis' um, coffin. And even when she gets her own coffin, she comes back and crawls into his. And it's it's um, it's all very sweet. And as, as Vicky says, she does make this change. This change in her happens when she sees a naked woman and she realizes she's never going to grow up um mm. to be like that and so um she gets upset which is when lestat moans about more melancholy nonsense which i think the audience could say at that point as well um, <laughs> yeah. but as you say she's she she holds her own against these two much older actors but it's it's she's brilliant but i find it also vaguely uncomfortable to watch these situations that she's put in um the, the stuff, some of the stuff she has to say to Louis about him being her beloved, telling him Archie yeah. is his forever. You know, it's very, yeah. it, it, she, she still was a 12 year old girl. She might have been a mature actress, but it's, it's, yeah. it's pretty freaky stuff they've got her saying. Yes, I agree. That I mean, it's difficult, isn't it? If you were looking at it and you you didn't think of actors as real people, which I know they are, but when Tom Cruise says to her, when they're having a bit of a row, and he's like, I'm going to go and find a woman who has endowments that you'll never have, and he's being mean to her to say, you'll never grow up, but that is, um, that's a man saying that to a 12-year-old girl on a work set, and that's, it's, I mean, it's just the line as written, and it makes perfect sense in the for the characters i suppose if you're reading it within the safety of a book you can do what you like but it is an uncomfortable thing to see yeah if she was a 17 year old woman playing a 12 year old girl fine yeah but she's not and it's so yeah they decide um louis and claudia to well well claudia does really to kill the stats um and as I said, she's he dies. Tom Cruise dies in this film, I think, as much as he does in Edge of Tomorrow, which we've talked about in the past. <laughs> because it starts off with him getting poisoned. There's twin boys that she's um, put laudanum in um, to keep Lord their blood Lord warm. Laudanum. Laudanum, sorry. Um, yeah, yeah. This is like Louis all over again. <laughs> <laughs> um, she, she poisons him and then cuts him. And we see... Um, we see Lestat bleeding out on the floor, which is very horrific and effective. And it was only when I was watching behind the scenes that that's not Tom Cruise. That's like a robot version of him they've got bleeding out, which is oh, brilliant because really? I'd never, I'd yeah. never clocked that before. Yeah. yeah you in, in the narration, it says vampires can turn into robots. It was <laughs> oh, one of the rules of vampirism in this movie. Yeah. So they drown him, dump him in a swamp. Uh, but then he comes back looking a bit like Blake Carrington in Scrooge, I thought. Um, <laughs> uh, and this is, uh, this is when you, one of those moments, I think, Vicky, when you were saying it feels like he gets a bit of a harpsichord entrance um, where he's, <laughs> he's playing the piano while describing drinking alligator blood yeah. and snake blood and, and toad like blood. And net fluttering over him and he's like, da-da! It's brilliant. <laughs> yeah, and he, and he gets that incredible line where he goes, Claudia, you've been a very very naughty girl <laughs> i love it he's having a great time which makes it all the more yeah. sad when he gets killed again a minute later yeah. uh they burn yeah. him this time 
Um, Mm -hmm. And so we think we've seen the last of him, although we know we haven't really. And the pair of them uh, go globetrotting, searching for vampires. And then this is sort of in the home straight now. We head to Paris, September 1870. And finally, we see Louis enjoying himself a little bit, living in high society with Claudia. Um, Did you think that it was a bit of a shame that they nip off to Paris in a sort of desperate search for one of their own kind, someone they would have never met apart from the stat, and the first vampire they run into is a mime vampire? (laughs) Oh, gutted. Absolutely gutted. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, this is Stephen Ray as Santiago, um, who we meet pissing about walking on the ceiling and, <laughs> and he works uh at the theater de vampire um uh run by armand so what did you think of this vampire theater the pair of you oh i thought this section is very long very long um <laughs> And again, I was distracted by they go to are they going to all this trouble of putting on a show where they then kidnap a poor woman and the audience think it's part of the act and then everyone gets to eat her. But would Mm. one person it's a lot of effort to go to, isn't it? If one person is like a is like a canopy, really, at that point, because there's so many of them. It seemed uh, maybe they were overdoing it a bit. You're really obsessed you know with I how thought? many vampires, how many people <laughs> yeah. the vampires have to eat, aren't you? I don't think it's that important. Yeah. Well, it's really <laughs> important. Yeah, if they did a show a night, well, that's 365 oh, people. No, but if yeah, they did a, a matinee yeah. performance as well, then that's they're doubling point. that. That's a good uh, point, so, yeah. yeah. Um, the problem I had with that is it's just such a strange... like considering vampires have to remain hidden and they don't want people to know that they're eating other people like to survive. You'd think that they, they probably go, what we shouldn't do guys is do it on stage in front of a packed theater. Cause people might go, uh, that looks horribly real. And, <laughs> The way this should be played in this scene, to me anyway, is they do all that and the audience is laughing along and then they see the girl and it's this horrible death and the vampires pounce on her and drink her, drink her blood. I think the, the audience should applaud at the end and that's their cover. The fact yeah. that the audience thinks this is so spectacular mm. like, and it's such a great production that they're all like, woo, 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 brilliant, love it. This yeah. vampire theatre is the best thing. And that's how they get away with it. But they don't. They kill the girl and the audience shuffles out going, that was fucking disgusting. How awful. That looked That looked real. We should probably find out who that girl was because I'm not sure that was part of the play. And, and, because like, it's, it's an awful end. And the, the Theatre de Vampire is based on the, the Grand Guignol, which is these immoral, naturalistic horror shows that were put on in France at the time. So it's based in mm. some reality, but I think you're right, um, Alex, that... It doesn't that pays off incorrectly, doesn't it? Um, and we mm. meet Armand, who runs the theatre, played by Antonio Banderas, um, who does a lot of pontificating and philosophizing when he's talking to Louis about the nature of true evil and the existence of God. Um, yeah. He he tells Louis he he talks in riddles, telling him he's asking the wrong questions, and Armand wants Louis either because he's falling in love with him or. He talks about wanting to make contact with this age, which I find no is sense. all a little bit weak. Yeah, I didn't. I, again, I've seen this many times, and I, I think we just used to skip through this bit because yeah. it's boring <laughs> and doesn't make any sense. What oh, is he talking God, I thought, about? I thought it was me. I thought, did I miss something here? Bring back Louis. Like, have him moan a bit more. It's better than this guy. I, just, <laughs> I didn't know what on earth I was meant to think. I, I was like, you know, it's a blessed release when they start killing people. 
So, mm. well, Claudia believes that Louis is going to leave her for Armand. So she wants a companion, a sort of a mother figure. And Louis gives her that. But then the theatre vampires turn on them. Um, they kill Claudia, turn her into ash. Uh, this is the yeah. scene that Alex said really yeah. disturbed him. It did it not you? It's a it's a hell of a scene. I, I, do you know? It's like the sun creeping down the shaft and the rest of it. I I, I think I think I'd, I'd forgotten it. The moment that really upsets me is that you just got to feel sorry for that woman who is literally <laughs> just just been turned into a vampire she's like great i am immortal and i have a child now because my own daughter died and not nothing can kill me but sunlight but that's not likely right because i'll sleep in a coffin cool 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 (laughs) great i'm gonna i am gonna oh what i'm not part of this now i'm in a cell oh come on i only got turned can i is that can i go back i can't no it's just the deal is done right fine 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 fine. i'll just die i'll just die It's awful. Uh, this, this breaks Louis and he takes pretty hardcore revenge, um, burning the <laughs> vampires while they're sleeping and then siding them down when right. they wake up. Also, uh, can I ask a question? So this, this whole thing, so the vampires do tell like Louis that like they're probably going to kill Kirsten Dunst because they say the punishment for killing another vampire is death. That's what they say. Now, to me... That sounds like a vicious circle of punishment because if you kill a vampire, then you must be killed by another vampire. <laughs> so then I'm assuming someone has to kill that vampire. So <laughs> I kill her, then you kill me, then someone kills you, and so on and so on. So I don't quite understand how that punishment works. I could have done with a bit of narration. <laughs> We've got to stop worrying about the internal logic of vampires. <laughs> But um, so he kills them all and Louis then becomes depressed. Um, He says that all his passion has gone with the golden hair. He feels empty, not for the first bloody time. And so um, he heads back to the States to watch the sunrise in a variety of cinemas through the decades. Um, He spends all his time watching films, it seems, which is a bit like us in lockdown at the moment. He watches Nosferatu. He watches Gone with the Wind. He watches Superman and he watches the Mel Gibson movie Tequila Sunrise. Um, and then, guess what? Lestat's back. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> well, at this point, we're expecting it. It doesn't really pay off anymore. Um, he looks emaciated. He's at death's door. He seems to be afraid of helicopters for some reason. Um... Yeah. <laughs> 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 uh, he, he talks about, he does sort of own up to the love he feels for Louis. And he says, the more uh, Louis refused me, the more Lestat wanted him. Um he wants Louis to say to help him become the older stat, but Louis ain't having any of it. And then we're back with Malloy, um, who in the film version uh, likes the story so much. It has the the undesired effect, as it were, for Louis. He wants to become a vampire. Um, Louis loses his shit over this and then he <clears throat> disappears and that's it. That is where we leave our protagonist. <laughs> he just yeah. buggers off. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's it's a final it's a final kicking the fangs uh, for Louis <laughs> uh, as as the protagonist in this movie that 
He he doesn't he doesn't get the end. It's no. almost like the movie goes, Yeah, thank God he's gone, right? Now meet the real protagonist. <laughs> because I guess Tom Cruise then gets his movie star ending where he, he shows up in Malloy's car, he says, I I assume I need no introduction. He bites him and says, I feel better already. It is a great, it is a great moment. He's putting the ruffles on his shirt. Um, he starts, <laughs> he starts, he makes a joke about Louis still whining, saying, I've had to listen to that for centuries. As have we, mate. Brilliant. As have we. Brilliant. Yeah. But I, I, do you know what? I think that is why this ending is so perfect because he's almost the voice of the audience and he's like he's like thank god i'm back right hey how you doing yeah lestat here need no introduction done that joke already um why don't we shut the fucking louis up on that cassette recorder i'll put on the stones and we'll just go for a drive yeah cool 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 cool. would that he would that he did though he puts on guns and roses instead of the stones which is really annoying yeah i know i know they were selling the movie but it's the wrong version of sympathy for the devil but yeah he ends by yeah. saying for the hundredth time i'm going to give you the choice i never had so mm-hmm. that is uh interview with the vampire um in the book version it's slightly different uh the the boy malloy doesn't have a name in the book he's just called the boy he actually goes looking for lestat um in the hope that he will turn him so it doesn't sort of happen to him he goes searching for it but other than that and the the changing the age of claudia it's pretty it's pretty similar to the book um yeah i did sort of wonder there, there, there is that question mark and when i saw that little fact as i said i haven't read the book but i did see that fact about how in the book uh the boy uh, does go looking for the stat which seems to make a little more sense to me because how the stat has left new orleans when he's too afraid to go outside because helicopters and <laughs> he then somehow tracks brad pitt to san francisco and in his weakened state and climbs into the back of Christian Slater's car. It all seemed a bit far-fetched, but I mm. forgave it because it's a hell of an ending. And mm. and Louis has a bit more fun in the book in that he and Armand actually live together for a spell and travel through Europe um, together, sort of having adventures. So, um, yeah, I think Louis enjoys himself more in the book than the film. So maybe maybe they did sort of dupe Brad Pitt. He Maybe he really did think he was playing a slightly different version of the characters than the one he ended up mm. playing. Ah, <laughs> uh, but shall we move on to the bits? Hell yeah. yeah. Okay. Victoria, what is your favorite scene? It's the it's the scene we've talked about a couple of times already, but it's the thing I remember the most about the film and it's uh Claudia and her new mum getting burned by the sun. And when well, when they get burned by the sun, I'd blended that scene with what happens when Louis finds her, which is uh she's She's ash, but she, in the shape of herself. And then it's the callback to the statue, which I think is in, is the gravestone of his wife and child, isn't it? At, at the beginning, you know, the one that winks at him when he—I don't think it winks—when <laughs> he becomes a vampire. So I think that the ashy Chris, um, yeah, ashy Claudia is my favourite bit, and I just remember it always. Good scene, good stuff, uh, Alex. At the end. Hands down, the end, um, the bit where Lestat pops up in the back of Christian Slater's car. Um, it's so it's so great um, because Lestat is 
just such a fun character. And the last time you'd seen him, he, despite the fact he's a, 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 a gleeful killing machine, he becomes so sympathetic and when he's scared of the bright lights like a mogwai. And <laughs> then he pops up at that end. And the lines you mentioned, I assume I need no introduction. I feel better already. I didn't see it at the cinema, but I know for a fact that regardless of the two hours that had gone previously, that ending, I'd have walked out of that cinema like on a massive high because it is a perfect ending. And I forgive all the flaws of this film because it leaves you going, fucking hey, cool. <laughs> the stat, man. Oh, that bit in the car. Love that. What about Louis, though? Don't remember Louis. Is he in it? <laughs> Uh, it's a very good one. I'm quite jealous of your one, uh, but I'm going to stick with mine. I am picking uh, Claudia's Killing Spree. Uh, I think more of the film should be that fun, twisted, blackly comic, um, sort of less wallowing in the misery and more sort of what a laugh it is being a vampire. <laughs> yes. So, uh, Victoria, what is your most valuable whatever MVW? Uh, Tom Cruise by a country mile because he is the most fun thing. This should be his film because he's not quite a villain. Like Alex says, um, and you've said, like by the end, you're on his team very much. So if he's not going to be played or portrayed as a bad man, then we can spend two hours with him and see all the fun things that he gets up to. Um, so, yeah. And he I, again, without him in this film... Oh, I, I yeah, I can still forgive it. I just love it so much. But without him, I think it might basically be unwatchable, which would be a bit of a shame. So yes, Tom Cruise, Alex. Um, for all the reasons Victoria just announced, Tom Cruise is also my MVW. I think Kirsten Dunst is a very close second. Yeah. I think she's great in it. But um, but yeah, it's it's all about Cruise. And when the character disappears, when the stat is in inverted commas killed. Like I think for the third time, um, he uh, the movie loses something. You know, um, I, I'm I, I'm a huge fan of Antonio Banderas, but he is a poor substitute for that period of the film. Uh, you know what? I would have said Tom Cruise, but I at the time I can remember so wanting Daniel Day Lewis to play Lestat that it spoilt it for me a little bit. Um, so you're picking Daniel Day Lewis? I'm picking Kirsten Dunst. <laughs> Uh, yeah, oh. that's, that's fair. Okay, because in spite of the uncomfortable things she's made to say and do, and I was that was playing on my mind particularly this time watching it, sort of twenty years later. And I think I read a a quote with her as well somewhere where she was saying that everyone would come up to her and say, "Oh, you know, what was it like kissing Brad Pitt?" And she she said it was my it was the first time I ever kissed a boy or a man. And oh it was, no! And it was very uncomfortable. Oh. And it's not it's not this. I mean, she wasn't complaining about it, but also it didn't feel like it was this fun memory for her. I think there was some discomfort. So that's deeply problematic. I also think, well, <laughs> what sort of journalist, like, asks a kid? No, in an not, a not, not a journalist. <laughs> jur I think this is, she says people well, come I up know, to her. Well, I know. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You weren't, you, weren't, I, you weren't a journalist back then, but you are now. But you weren't a journalist when you asked her that. She was saying girls come up to her and ask her it all the time. I think that was the point she was making, right. like almost like they're jealous yeah. of her. And she was, I think her response is that it's not something to be that jealous of. It's probably quite problematic, <laughs> but she's fantastic. And uh... <laughs> because, because he was in a bad mood. Let me tell you, it's no fun kissing Brad Pitt when he's sulking. Yeah, you'd think it would be, but man, he was bitching about the darkness. He hates London, by the way. 
Uh, Victoria, if you could change anything, would you change anything? If so, what? Oh, so it's very obvious, but uh, I might as well get this covered off. So when we meet Brad Pitt, let him be like a goofy, silly, boyish protege who then starts to hang on to his remorse as the last thing that makes him human. Because the the morals behind that and what it has to say about the human condition and etc. I love all of that, that the only thing that he's hanging on to is the thing that makes him miserable, but he needs a journey. So he either starts from that place and sh- and shucks it all off or when Lestat falls in love with him when they first meet, it's because he's like this gorgeous, sunburnished, foolish boy and that's why he loves him. And then he turns into this mopey, <laughs> sulky man by the end. Yeah, it's a solid change. Alex, it's a solid change. Um, uh, it's a, it's ever so slightly long and in a way that it really doesn't need to be. I think there's one too many conversations between Lestat and Louis that go along the lines of, you're a vampire, you have to kill people, but I don't want to kill people, but you have to, but I don't want to, but you're a vampire, but I don't want to be, but you have to kill people, but I don't want to, again and again and again. So I, I'd probably just maybe like half the number of conversations about how Brad Pitt doesn't want to kill people. Um, <laughs> or, a bit like Vicky's, I don't know. I don't know that it entirely worked because it would sort of ruin Louis' arc, but maybe like have him first become a vampire and then be like so caught up in being a vampire. He's like munching his way through people and then suddenly have an epiphany and realize it's wrong and then start regretting having made that decision. So at least he's not the same freaking note for the entire two-hour film. Uh, I, I agree. And my change is either, either make him not a slave owner or address the fact that he is a slave owner. Like do something yeah. with that or don't don't do it because there is something there that you can use. Um, but they don't bother. It's just a fact. It's just in his history. It's in his background. And I think that's a wasted mm. opportunity and also um, really a problem to have your hero, hero be that person and never, yeah. never discuss it. So um, I think we're all agreed that there's just something up with the Louis character in this film that, it, you know, maybe it needed a rewrite. Although maybe Anne Rice, Anne Rice wouldn't have let him. <laughs> so there's something, there's something up him, a stick up his bum. <laughs> and, then, Sorry, no, and, I, and there's a reason, what... actually, that the other books that Anne Rice wrote were about Lestat. You know, uh, Lestat yeah. is the hero of the Vampire Chronicles, and Louis is just a brief blip on his on his life experience. Um, probably the most boring <laughs> period of his life <laughs> and it's what she ended up you know that was the first story but she she quickly realized that lestat was her character um i've not seen queen of the damned uh have you no oh i no. feel like i have but maybe it's a liar isn't yeah, it yeah yeah and stuart a, a townsend liar, yeah. yeah i feel right, like that's I have, it yeah stuart townsend plays him no mm. all right future clash pod maybe not great uh would you guys, after a week of this bloodsucker brawl, like to do the verdict now? Yes. Yeah. Let's do the verdict. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth. All right, Chris. Um, no, sorry. All right, Vicky. These were your movies, so uh, you take us through the verdict. Who do you want to go first? Um, Chris. Okay, uh, I feel like what we do in the shadows makes it difficult to take both these movies seriously now. I think <laughs> what they've done uh, makes 
aspects of both these films quite laughable um i feel like interviews are a movie that has changed since i watched it it seems to have got less sexy and less scary and quite a lot more boring than i remember (laughs) um but i'm with alex uh, what he said about dracula in terms of it having style over substance um it's which is weird to say about a film based on literary classic but i think the adaptation has too much horror for romantics and too much romance for the horror crowd and then at times it felt very silly watching it this on this occasion. But um, I love the artistry in in that film. And watching them back to back, I was much more entertained by what Coppola had done. So I'm going for the OG Dracula. <gasps> oh, no. And I genuinely don't know which way you guys are going to go. I haven't been able to, I've not been able to tell this week, unlike last week. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Shall I go then, Victoria? Uh, you pick the movie, so you get to go last, which means um, I'll wade in to this blood-soaked quagmire. Um, I thought you were going to go for interview with a vampire, Chris. The uh, way you were talking, clever little you. You made it seem like you were going one way, and then, whoa, the old switcheroo from Chris Thrilly. Never a dull moment. You pulled it back around, and you went Dracula. And... Um, Seeing as Chris quoted me and then picked the movie, I think Dracula is style over substance, 100%. I was bored by the second half. I think it looks fantastic visually. It's a work of freaking art. But a good-looking film. There's not a great film make. And the interview with a vampire does also have issues. It's a bit of a slog. Way too much sulky Brad. But hands down, for me, it's a really enjoyable movie. And Tom Cruise is excellent in it. And I'm picking Interview with a Vampire. So (laughs) one each. One Uh, each. I'm really pleased because I'm also going to pick Interview with the Vampire because even though I know it's boring, <laughs> I, I still love it. Um, yeah, I just, I don't, you know, I don't even need any more justification than that. It's a film that's very close to my heart. And despite its many, many flaws, I just love it. And I do love Dracula, but it's got too many other distractions. Like, I, I know it's shallow, but the accents annoy me so much. And with the girls laughing in the rain, hate that so much. So <laughs> Rain! <laughs> it's raining! <laughs> rain! I can't cope with it. Oh, yeah. So yeah, Interview with the Vampire. Hooray, hooray, hooray! Whoop, whoop! Interview with the Vampire is our winner of this bloodsucker brawl. I'm happy about that. Chris, Alex, you okay with that? Uh, mm. Yeah, but do you not want to change your... Opinion? You've done it before. <laughs> Perfect opportunity. Come on, Al. Don't let us down. Flip flop. Flip flop. Say, I've not becoming the flip flop king. Uh, that was a one off, and I I've tore myself apart emotionally thinking about flip flopping that day. So um, no, interview with the vampire is one hundred percent. Well, it's not. It's two thirds. But never mind. It's, it's our winner this week. That's the most important thing. Congratulations, interview with a vampire. The right. vampire. <laughs> <laughs> For God's sake, get the title right. <laughs> <sighs> well, thank God we never have to say the title again. It's done. Um, okay, let's look ahead to next week. I gave you a clue um, on uh, Monday's episode. Uh, my clue was fathers and daughters and guns. Oh, my. 
Uh, would anyone like to guess at what the movies we are going to be uh, talking about that I am giving to each of you could be? Um, I'm not very good with clues, so uh, I can't. <laughs> you can say no. No. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> right, okay. Chris? No. Right. Uh, <clears throat> From two thousand, I always get nervous when I do this bit because I'm like, because uh, I've got more than one option, uh, but I've already committed to a certain clue, and so we're sticking with this option now. But I've got because I wasn't sure which way I was going to go. I've got my other option written down on my bit of paper, and you know when you're committed to one thing, you always go, oh, but maybe that was the better one. Anyway, never mind. Victoria from two thousand and eight. Yeah, you. We've talked about him. On the show, but we've never talked about a movie that he's been in, as far as I can remember. He got a mention on Monday's show. Liam Neeson <gasps> yeah. in yes. oh my 2008's God. Taken. Yes! Oh, oh my God. God. I love that film. <laughs> I, I literally... <laughs> I literally had a had that planned for my next free one uh, with something else. That's mad. Please, Ooh, please, 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 well, please, please have it. Please say you paired it with the other one oh, that I was thinking of. Oh, my God. Is it 1986? Oh my God, this is, too... is it 1986? I got it as 1985. 1985, it is, it about... is, it is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so excited. I'm so excited. Is so, it? Chris. Is it? Go on, from 1985. Is it Commando? It is Commando. <laughs> you don't know how happy I am. I've literally got it written in my phone to do Commando and Taken, and I was even going to do it in that order. I was going to give Vicky Taken, and then I was going to give you Commando. Yeah, well, there you go. Look at that. Great minds and That's all amazing. that. Taken from 2008 and Commando from 1985 are going to be next oh, week's I'm clash. I'm crying. I'm pod. so happy. <laughs> that is your homework. Oh, I'm. Do you know? I'm so. I'll tell. I'll. I'll tell you later. But there was another film that was very close to replacing Commando on this list. Oh, but I decided God. Commando was the better call. And um, we will be back. Please, to take the time if you can to give us a star rating on the Apple Podcast app uh, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you can, that would be lovely. Thank you for listening. Congrats to Interview with the Vampire. Get your homework done. Taken versus Commando is next week's Clash Pod. Bye bye for now. This was a Stakhanov production. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.